Hi, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, with the goal of engaging the city and impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. Abraham Joseph. If you want to know more about Calvary Baptist Church and its ministries, head over to www.cbcnyc.org. Let's go to God in prayer as we look to his word. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege to sing your praises. Yes, uh, your word tells us that if we don't shout, stones will. Uh, and God, uh, we are people who are to shout your praise, not just because of what you have done, but because of what you will do. And that's what the season of Advent is all about, God, as we look to your word uh, to see how you call us to be prepared, to be ready, to be aware, to be alert. For the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you will teach us by your spirit and work in us, Lord, that uh, witness to the Lord who is coming, both uh, both for our sake and for the sake of the world into which you have sent us, for we ask in Jesus. So this is the first Sunday of Advent, and we begin this uh, four-part series uh, we're calling Awaiting the Return of the King. So that's the theme for every Advent, and that's the theme of the church in general. We are awaiting the return of the King. That's who we are as a people. Uh, we will, uh, this morning, my fault, I turned it on. Uh, uh, this morning we are going to look at what what it means to prepare for the return of the king. And in the next three Sundays, next Sunday you'll see, uh, you'll have Pastor Jim speak to us uh, for uh, the need for repentance as we wait for uh, the return of our king and on the 17th. Pastor Tim will speak to us for our need to be witnessing while we are awaiting the return of the king. And on December 24th, uh, I will, Lord willing, come back to speak on uh, the need to trust in the one who is sovereign over all our lives, over all of history, over all of creation on the 24th. So this morning, our call is to be prepared from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44. Do you uh, remember old timers, as in from three years ago, <laughs> Do you remember what the inscription about the doors of our old building at one, our West 57th used to say? We preach Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. We preach Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. Good news is that inscription has been retained and will find a place as we enter into the building, not outside the building. So uh, we still will continue to preach Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again wherever we meet. So what is the day that has been set aside by the church uh, for the remembrance of Christ crucified? We remember that every day, but what is that day that we have set aside for that purpose? Good Friday, very good. What's the day that uh, we have set aside to celebrate our uh, risen Lord? Easter or Resurrection Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday, to, to, to remember that the Lord rose from the dead on the first, on the, uh, first day of the week. But what do we call the season that we have set aside to remember Christ coming again? Because that is our message as well, isn't it? Advent, yes, every day, as much as we remember Christ crucified and risen every day, Advent is also uh, a season where we look to the return of our Lord because the return of the Lord is part of the gospel. We don't just pray, uh, believe in a, a crucified and risen Savior who is still alive, but we also Believe in the Lord who is coming again. Without the belief or faith in the second coming, we are not Christians. That's part of the essentials of the faith. 
faith that the Lord who came, who died for us and rose again, is coming again. But Advent, uh, so Advent is the season where we watch, we are watchful, we are waiting for the second coming of Christ. But Advent can, can seem to be a strange season because Advent begins with, the, with this waiting for things to come, for the Lord to return. But then uh, the season of Advent ends on the 25th with a look back uh, to that story, that nativity story of the Lord's first coming. And we wonder, what are we waiting for? Are we waiting uh, as though, uh, pretending as though the Lord has not come? And then surprise ourselves on Christmas morning, oh, he did come 2,000 years ago. Um, no. But, well, some may be confused about the way we celebrate that. Uh, others are confused by the delay. That uh, confusion over the delay of the Lord doesn't start with our times. It goes back even to the time of the Apostle Peter, where Peter writes in... Um, in Second Peter chapter 3, uh, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For even since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed, things, life as usual, uh, and we too can be forgetful that the Lord is coming back. We ought to live in light of that. And that confusion, that delay could also keep us from uh, celebrating Advent or anticipating the return of the Lord as we ought to. We begin to live as though He is not coming back or that His return is probably beyond our lifetime. And we get caught up in life as usual. We, we lose sight of the worlds to come. We live as though this world is all that there is. Yes, we are delighted that the Savior came, but we are forgetful of His return or the need for His return. When we do that, when we are confused, or when we are perplexed over the delay, uh, we give room to the temptation of life as usual. And Advent becomes, instead of waiting for a time of the Lord, uh, for, the, for the Lord to return, Advent becomes a time of getting ready for Christmas. Time to get your shopping done, and your gifts wrapped, and your tree put up, and uh, we slip into the usual celebrations that, that the world is very good at celebrating, but they're not anticipating the return of Christ. And we pretend with the world that, this is the most wonderful time of the year, although nothing's changed in our lives. And we look forward to the lighting of the tree at Rockefeller or the winter market at Union Square or the rocket at Radio City or Santos at the mall or chestnuts roasting by fire or hot coffee next to our run-of-the-mill heater in an apartment. Uh, or should I say Christmas carols on the radio and at church. Advent becomes a time of nostalgia, of family time, of gingerbread houses, sugar cookies, optimism. It's good to be optimistic, but optimism and hope are two different things. Hope is grounded in a much greater reality. How do we then get, even, get around even to what happened 2,000 years ago uh, if we are not grounded in hope but in optimism? And the only time we remember that this Christ even then, only that he has come is maybe on Christmas Eve uh, when we read through the scriptures or on Christmas Day when the children are opening our gifts. Maybe we think of God's greatest gift to us, our son Jesus, his son Jesus. One of the reasons Advent could be confusing is it calls us to look forward so that we can look back. 
We always look back to what happened 2,000 years ago, but Advent is a season that calls us to look forward before we can look back. Uh, and we wonder, shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't we just look back first and then we are ready to look forward? No, not really. Because if we try to begin with the nativity, that little baby, and then move forward in anticipation to the king who is to come, uh, we are so enamored by that little baby uh, that we forget the glory of the one who is coming as king of the universe, the judge of all things. When we go from the baby to the risen Jesus, yeah, we may look at the risen Jesus, but we don't often think of him as the one who's returning in all glory and honor and splendor and, and in judgment. Uh, yes, as evangelicals, we believe in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's part of the gospel. And we are people who have put their faith in the return of the Lord Jesus. We anticipate the second coming of our Lord, uh, but maybe in a very narrow sense, in that uh, I will be raised from the dead if I if I die before that, or the church will be raptured. Uh, it, it's, it is part of the good news, but it's a very narrow sense of the good news. But the good news needs to extend to the ends of the earth. Because the ends of the earth are fallen and are in need of good news. Remember last Sunday we spoke of God creating all things for one reason. For what reason is that? His glory. His glory. So if God's glory fills the face of the earth, then all things will be good for all of us. But God's glory does not extend to the ends of the earth. And those who are concerned for God's glory, above and beyond just the personal benefits that accrue to us because of the return of Jesus, we await the return of the King as good news for all creation. When God will be all in all, when all things will be set right, when God's reign will be established forever. So Advent is the anticipation of the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's what happens when the Lord Jesus comes back. So when we observe Advent first, waiting, remembering, anticipating the King to come in His glory, the judge of the universe who will set all things right, we begin to appreciate not that baby who became the King, but that glorious King, the eternal judge, very God of God, creator of the universe, Alpha and the Omega, He became a little baby for us and for our sake. And then we are ready to celebrate the one who is coming as judge because he's already come as our savior. We need Advent because the weary world needs rejoicing. And that rejoicing will come in the Lord Jesus' return. We need Advent because God's blessings need to be made known to the made known as far as the curse is found. And the curse has not been removed. We need the second coming of the Lord Jesus because when he comes, he will make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. We eagerly await the return of the Lord. We observe Advent by waiting in hope for the glory of the Lord to be, uh, to be revealed. Advent is a, a season of anticipation, but it is also a season of preparation. Preparation to be ready, not for Christmas, as important as that is, but for the return of the Lord. The church is called as the church between the times. So the church's existence is Advent. We, can't, we, are, we exist before the first coming of the Lord and the, sec, the return of the Lord, anticipating His return. But while we wait, we are called to be prepared. So our passage this morning, Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44, calls us to be prepared for the return of our Lord. So please turn with me in your Bible. We have the thesis that the Lord will return, but the time is unknown in verse 36. And then three examples of people who are not prepared to warn us to be prepared. 
So Matthew chapter 24, and we read in verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Concerning that day, what day? Got to go all the way back to chapter 24, verse 1, to find out what that day is. This passage is in the middle of this section from 24.1 to 26, verse 2. In 24.1, Jesus is already in Jerusalem in the final week of his uh, life here before his crucifixion. And uh, Jesus and his disciples are walking outside of the temple. And we see in 24.1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. You know, this season we get a lot of tourists who come to New York uh, who don't see places we see every day and just walk by. And they marvel at uh, what we see every day. And maybe these disciples from Galilee have come in and they're, they're marveling at this wonderful temple. Maybe some of them seeing it, uh, you know, maybe just once a year if they make the pilgrimage. But they, they see that and they're impressed and they tell Jesus uh, to, 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 they point it out to him, but we are told in verse 2, but he, Jesus answered them, you see all these? See not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Temple's going to be just impressive stone, this temple, that not even one stone will be left on another. And Jesus replies to them, um, verse uh, 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? Jesus tells them in the, in the verses that follow, chapter 24, verses 4 to 35, about the destruction of the temple and the signs that will accompany that, uh, precede that. And that happens in AD 70. But then there's the second part of that question. When will your coming be? And that's the answer to that, that he picks up with that day on verse, in verse 36. But concerning that day, that day when the Lord shall return, when he will come again in his glory, when he will set all things right, that day... An hour, he says, no one knows. Day and hour is the usual biblical way of referring, referring to time. You know that uh, in the late 90s or early 90s, there was this radio host named Harold Camping. He, he said, uh, the day and the hour we need not know, but the year and the month we could. <coughs> and, he, and he predicted uh, someday in 1994 or something like that. Uh, that's the year I went to seminary and some people are saying, Jesus is coming, where are you, where are you going to seminary? <laughs> Savior, uh, uh, you know, savior money. Harold uh, Camping is gone. Sadly, he misled even some of our own people. But the arrogance and the presumptuousness of someone to say that they know the day and the time, and the Lord says here, the day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the sun, but the Father only. Uh, no one knows, none of us. Date setting is arrogant and presumptuous. Looking for signs? Jesus, no signs. Signs for the destruction of the temple, yes. Signs for his return, as we're going to see in this passage. Be ready at all times, because you do not know. Not even the angels. See, the angels uh, are privy to the presence of God. You think they would have overheard something? No, they don't know. But the most surprising thing here is not even the sun. What? Isn't he fully God? Isn't he deity? Isn't, isn't he omniscient? How could he say that there is something that he does not know? Uh, you know, even just reading this previous chapter, we, we see the functions of deity present in our Lord. He tells him what is going to happen. Know the future from the present is, is, is only God knows that he's, he's able to say that. But here in this one thing, he says, 
he claims ignorance of the time of his coming. And it puzzles us, as it ought to, uh, but the only way we can understand that is, is the function, as the, as the mystery of the incarnation. We sing that great hymn by Wesley, Anne Can It Be, and there's a great line there, it's mystery all. What happens? What's the mystery? We know that. Song. It's mystery all the immortal dies. It's mystery all the immortal dies. Our faith is built on that, that the immortal died for us in our place. If that is the truth, that the immortal is also here, uh, the omniscient one, uh, claims ignorance. We can only understand it as a mystery that is part of the incarnation. That's how the church has understood it, because it is not only fully God, and he is fully man, and as fully God, he is omniscient. As fully man, he claims ignorance, because ignorance is part of not knowing, and growing in knowledge is part of being human. How those two come together in the same person, that's the mystery. Because he is fully God and fully man, he is the one person, Jesus Christ. So Cyril of Alexandria in 5th century speaking of this particular uh, function of being human uh, says this, We ought to touch on the divine plan and remark that God's only begotten word took on along with humanity all its attributes save sin alone. Ignorance of future events properly belongs to the limitations of humanity and so insofar as he is viewed as God, he knows all the Father knows. In so far, though, as the same Son is man, he does not repudiate the appearance of ignorance because it is an attribute of humanity, just as we, just as he who is personally the life and power of all took bodily nourishment out of respect for the measure of his self-emptying and is recorded as having slept and being weary. So though knowing all things, he is not ashamed to allot himself the ignorance which belongs to humanity because this were all the attributes of humanity save sin alone. We are left marvel and wonder that he would do that for us. So, not even the son knows, he says, uh, only the father does. This is an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. But given that the time is not known, what are we to do? What is he saying to the disciples? Disciples are to keep themselves in a constant state of readiness. And Jesus gives them in the remaining verses the three, uh, three pictures, three images of what Readiness ought to look, but doesn't. He gives us three pictures of people who are not ready, people who are not prepared, people who are not aware, people who are not alert. So first we see the people in the days of Noah. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For us, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware, until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Four, that little word connects to what Jesus has just said in verse 36, the, the unknowability of his coming, but the certainty of his coming. He is coming, but of that day and hour you do not know. And people go about, he says, as in the days of Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? Uh, we, we see this, the, the most the ter terrible words the scripture, if you were, God grieved. God regretted that he had made man. The passage is told that the, now the, 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 the wickedness of man was great. I mean, that's the only thing that's told about us that is great. And God, who brought creation out of chaos, turns creation into chaos through that universal flood. And what were people doing? They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage 
That of, none of them are sinful. These are the ordinary rhythms of life. Uh, but what they were not aware of is that judgment has already been pronounced on their wickedness and the day of judgment was coming upon them, but they went on with life as usual, as though there was no judgment coming. That's a question for us. The Advent is a time of asking hard questions. How am I like the people in the day of Noah, where I'm so caught up with the way things of life that I am not, I live as though uh, I'm unaware of the Lord's return and the judgment that is coming. And they were like that until the day when Noah entered the ark. Uh, when Noah entered the ark and God closed the door, that didn't change their behavior. Uh, they carried on, and that's the day that God's hand was free to bring his intended judgment. They were unaware. They were unaware. They were complacent. They lived as though there was nothing more to life than everyday, life, everyday affairs. They were untroubled by larger concerns. Did Noah warn them? This passage doesn't say that, but Hebrews 11 says, by, by faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. His building of the ark alone is a proclamation that God is sovereign, God is judge, and God is coming again. His life was a witness, but he apparently proclaimed it as well. What Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, or the King James puts it, a preacher of righteousness. So Noah proclaimed the warning that was given to him. And what happened? Because they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, until it was too late. Have you ever seen that meme of those two dinosaurs standing on a rock and seeing the ark sail by? And they say to themselves, oh, that was today? <laughs> Those are the people of the days of Noah. Oh, that was today. They discovered too late uh, that they were living in a world that would not hold, that the opportunity for repentance had passed. And judgment comes, comes as a total surprise. Jesus concludes that first ima image by saying, and so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Brought the danger of being people caught unaware, people complacent concerning the judgment to come. People swept away uh, by the greater judgment to come. And when God's Son comes in judgment, uh, the universal flood will seem like child's play. It will be a day when all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All will give an account for our life. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, the call then to his disciples, to us, is don't be unaware like the people of the days of Noah. Don't be swept away by the judgment that is to come. It was not just in the days of Noah, it was in the days of Jesus as well. So Jesus gives them another image from his time. And two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding in the mill. At the mill, one will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Two men, two women, daily life, as in the days of Noah. Two men, maybe brothers working together in the field. Two women, maybe mother and daughter working together in the house, in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, the you know, uh, uh, grinding their uh, corn or whatever at their home mill, uh, doing household chores, normal day as any other day, and we're told one is taken, one is left. We wonder who's left, who's taken, you know, whether it is the people who are left behind who are saved or the people who are taken away. Scripture speaks of the people who were uh, judged in the flood, there were people who were taken away. At the same time, there are angels who take away believers. So 
whether it's people who are taken away or people who are left behind, the problem is not to, for us to know which one is saved and which one is not, but to know that one will be saved and one will not. That's the point we need to take. And the point there is that those who are prepared are the ones who enter, as we heard read even in the parable of the convergence, those who are prepared enter or receive or received by those who rightly acknowledge him as Lord. The others are told, I don't even know you. Therefore, we are told, stay awake. Stay awake, be alert, be aware of the times, be prepared. Because you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. See, on that day, all creation will acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. Philippians tells us that. But the question for us is, will our acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord be any different from those who do not know him? See those ten virgins? All ten of them confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Five of them who were prepared truly knew him as Lord, and they were received as, Lord, uh, as his people. The other five called him Lord as well, but Jesus told them, I don't even know you. So the call is to be alert, uh, aware, to be alert. What is the clue to not being left behind or taken away in judgment? Being alert for the coming of the Lord. Be ready for pickup, as the Uber driver tells you. If those two are not enough, he gives us a third image. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Master of the house, the, son, the householder, perhaps a wealthy man because his house is worth being broken into. And the thieves don't take appointments. But somehow this guy knows that thief is coming. There's some daring thieves like that. It's like those baseball players who point out where they're going to get the home run. So when this householder knows that the thief is coming, how ought he to prepare himself? He should have been alert. He should have been prepared. Uh, he would have maybe taken precautions like hiring armed guards or something so that his house would not be broken into. But he, if he doesn't, if he's not ready, he suffers the consequence. So the lesson, Jesus says, is therefore you also must be ready. Call to preparedness. Why? Because the Son of Man is coming. Like a thief in the night, not like a thief on purpose, but in timing. You do not know when he will come. At an hour, you do not expect. Some of you may know Dr. Dwight Pentecost. He's, a, he's passed away, but a dear old man. He, was, he taught at Dallas Seminary for like 60 years. Uh, when uh, Laura and I and our children were living on the seminary campus, I was doing my doctoral studies. He was our neighbor, an apartment next door. He was in his late 80s by then. Uh, he, he taught. His mind was as clear as uh, ever told his dad, but he couldn't drive and so on. So the, the seminary told him, if you want to continue to teach, you need to stay in seminary housing. So he was next door to us, and uh, uh, he was such a friendly soul. Uh, when my daughter was five, we got her a trampoline, and we asked her, who do you want to invite to jump on your trampoline? And he said, Dr. P. So the, <laughs> but Dr. P was a wonderful preacher as well, and he was preaching in, 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 uh, in um, chapel, and I think he was a little grouchy about being told to live in the seminary housing. Uh, he said, uh, when I moved into seminary housing, the, the president of the seminary said, I'm going to come and see you. He said, every day I wash my dishes. Every day I wash, vacuum my rug because the president said he's coming to see me. It was also a reminder to the president that he hadn't come to see him yet. But, uh, uh, but uh, he washes his dishes every day. He vacuums his carpet every day because the president is coming. How much more 
we ought to be prepared, we ought to be ready, we ought to do what God has called us to do if the king is coming, if the judge is coming. So Advent is a time of waiting, and we wait for that day, because on this day, the world is still full of darkness, still full of problems. The world is not yet redeemed. Our salvation is not complete. We see our own brokenness. I made this cloud of uh, word cloud of all the problems we see in this world. And there's so much more we can add it. After I completed this, like I didn't left out sickness and death and suffering and uh, all that that constitutes this day. Advent is a season of waiting that tells us that we need to testify, live lives that testify not to this day, but that day. That day is coming. What a great day that will be. On that day, Christ will return bodily. We who experience Christ through the Spirit will experience Him fully. We will see Him face to face. We see Him, we shall be like Him. Amazing, imagine that. Our salvation will be complete. Then the very presence of sin will be removed. We do not have to struggle with sin every day as we do right now, even as sin seeks to have mastery over us. The dead in Christ shall rise. Such great news. Christ will establish God's reign in its fullness. No more presidential elections. None of that stuff that raises our hopes only to dash it the very moment after the work is done. The king is coming to establish God's reign forever. All Israel will be saved. All those who are God's original people who have not believed in Jesus as the Messiah, when they see him return, they will put their faith in him. All Israel will be saved. All of God's enemies who act against God's people, who destroy the world, God will put them down forever. Uh, Hope will turn into sight. God will be all in all. All will be well, finally. That day. That's the day we are living for, not this day. We live in this day looking forward to that day, but the catch is we do not know when that day is coming. Yet we are called to be prepared, to be alert, to be awake for that day. So how do we prepare? Before we speak of how to be prepared, we need to think about how we are unaware, how we are not alert, how we are complacent. Merely belonging to this community of faith does not mean, uh, uh, is not a sign of salvation. Remember those Five virgins, they were part of the group that came to welcome the Lord, but they found themselves out. So, what are the indications that we are not prepared? Well, look at our joys, look at our sorrows, look at our concerns, look at our plans. If all of those are oriented only toward this day, then maybe we are not If that day has no bearing on our joys, our concerns, how we handle grief, how, how we handle suffering, how we... Uh, what are our hopes, what are our plans, then maybe we are not prepared. And maybe we're not ready. How can we be prepared? How can we stay awake? Uh, the surrounding parables around this passage tell us that, that right after this uh, 36 to 44, in 45 to 51, Jesus tells the parable of the unfaithful servant who the Lord had appointed, his master had appointed him in charge of his house. And when he came back, he found him unfaithful. We saw the parable of the ten virgins in 25, 1 to 13. We had the parables of the talents in verses 25, chapter 25, 14 to 30. We see the final judgment in 25, 31 to 46. All of these tell us how we can be prepared, be alert. And uh, Peter tells us that this waiting, this 
uh, watching, this preparedness is active, not passive. In Second Peter eleven verse Second Peter three verses eleven to thirteen, Peter writes, "Since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Waiting for and hastening the day of God. We don't hasten God's hand. We hasten preparing ourselves for that return." It's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. How do you wait actively? First of all, we need to remember that this is God's work. The second coming of God is not what we do, but what God does. The second coming is a soteriological event. It belongs to the category of those soteriological events such as crucifixion, resurrection, exaltation, ascension, exaltation. These are all the works of God. It's not something we do, but God does. Our part is to be prepared. God sent John the baptizer to prepare the people for the first coming, for the incarnation. We are called to prepare ourselves and prepare the world for the return of the, our Lord, for the coming of our Lord. Advent is waiting upon the saving act of God. God will act. Christ will return. Of that we can be certain. Of that day we do not know, but we can be prepared. How will we prepare? Every passage in the scripture in the New Testament on, on the Lord's return, emphasizes right conduct on our part. We'll look at some of them as we wrap up. So also, every call to right conduct speaks of the Lord's return. The end is near. Therefore, conduct yourselves in such a way. The first way to be prepared is to be a witness. In this very passage, in, in this very chapter, chapter 24, verse 14, just before that, Jesus says to his disciples, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel will be proclaimed to all nations, and then the end will come. We prepare by being witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember after the resurrection for 40 days, Jesus is with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, and they ask him the right question, but just the wrong extent. Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What they got wrong was the extent of the kingdom. It's not just to Israel, because all of the earth belongs to the Lord. All of creation belongs to the Lord. Jesus doesn't tell them they're wrong, but he does tell them it's not for you to know. He said at this time, it's not for you to know. But instead he tells them it's for you to go, as New Begin tells us. The answer is not for you to know when it is, but the answer is for you to go now. Go where? You shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the ends of the earth, because the ends of the earth are still under the curse. And they need to know that the blessings of God can be found now if they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we are prepared when we take that good news that there is redemption in Christ Jesus, even to the ends of the earth. Be prepared by being witnesses. Mike Bird tells us that eschatology is the engine for mission. Why are we engaged in mission? Because Jesus is coming back. We are witnesses when we endure in this fallen world, which poses us in many ways, in which we find ourselves broken and, and even yielding to temptation. Paul uh, writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, after talking about the, uh, the resurrection, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Uh, we are witnesses as we encourage one another. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
We need that mutual encouragement, part of our witness in living as people who are living for that day. We can't do it alone. We bear witness when we together live for that day as God's people. We are called to be responsible. We are, nur- we are called to nurture a lively expectation of the Lord's return. Uh, uh, we are people who, along with creation, groan for the return of the Lord when all things will be made right. Having already tasted our salvation, we are people who live responsibly and, and are eagerly waiting. And our worldview is shaped not by this day, but by that day. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31, because that day is drawn near. Because that day, the, the time of his coming has been cut short. He says, live as though uh, those who have things, live as though you don't. Even such intimate relationships as marriage are not the ultimate in this world. We live as though, uh, not just as though, because the reality is when the Lord comes, all of these will be transformed, so we live in light of that. We say no to ungodliness and world, worldly passions and live upright lives in the present age. We are called to be ready. We are called to examine ourselves to see if we stand in the faith. We are called to purify ourselves because of that hope that when we see Him, we shall be like Him. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to be responsible. We are called to be faithful. That's what this parables in this passage in the next chapter are about. We are, we are to be faithful in the use of the gifts and abilities, both natural and uh, skills that we have learned and the spiritual gifts that we are given Uh, Not just in in what we call ministry, but in all of life, because redemption is coming to all of creation. And that good news of redemption, the foretaste of that comes in our work, not just when we gather, but when we scatter in your neighborhood, in your apartment buildings, in your own homes, in your workplace. We we live as witnesses of Jesus Christ, witnesses that say not not just that the Lord has come, but the Lord is coming again. And we live in light of that. All creation will be redeemed are we living lives of faithfulness toward that redemption? Finally, be accountable, because judgment is coming. Second Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, all, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. First Corinthians 3.12-15, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone is, anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The salvation is always by grace through faith. But judgment is always based on work. We will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we have done in this body, we're not saved by that, but we to stand before Christ as judge. I don't see any greater motivation than that to be accountable in how we live. The, the great judgment that comes in Matthew 25, uh, it, it's about how we live today in light of ourselves. See, salvation is not just something to be kept in a pocket, waiting for one day when Jesus will come and take, take us out of here. Salvation is present relationship with the living God of the universe who has freed us from slavery to sin and death, so that we may live in this world as His people, as witnesses for Christ, and that He is coming to make the whole world new, even as that work has already begun in us. See, what happened 2,000 years ago can only make full sense when we live in anticipation of what will happen 
and that same Lord returns. Time when we do not know that we do not know when. Nonetheless, it's a time that we can be certain will that God will bring about. We are called to be prepared for his return. Advent is the season of preparation for the return of the Lord. But just as much as the crucifixion and Easter, we have Good Friday and the, the resurrection on and Re- Resurrection Sunday are specific days that are set aside to remember those, but those are the truths by which we live every day. That our sins are taken away because of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we stand before God perfected in Him, through faith in Him. That's a truth to live by every day, but there are also special days. So also this season of Advent is a special season for us that calls us to be prepared. But preparedness is a daily 24-7, 365 affair, not just for this time of the year. We're called to be prepared for His return. Advent is a season of preparation. The lights on the tree are night. Do put them up. But remember that we are called more than that to be to be light. In this world that still remains in darkness. See, the world needs to see our light shine for Jesus as a sign of hope. Of Him, the greater light. Light for all people, for all who dwell in darkness. We are people who wait for that day, that day when the Lord Jesus will return and establish God's reign in His fullness. But that's when the hope of glory is fulfilled because all of Creation will be filled with the glory of God. And what a day of rejoicing that will be. Join me in this uh, litany for Advent. We preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. So say it with me. Christ has died. We remember his death. Christ is risen. We proclaim his resurrection. Christ will come again. We await his coming in glory. Pray with me. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which thy son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and your Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.